You're listening to Policy, Guns and Money, the Aspie podcast. Hey there, I'm Renee Jones, and you may know me as the often unnamed voice of this podcast. Officially, I'm also known as the Events and Communications Manager here at Aspie, but other unofficial titles I go by include Lead Feminist Fangirl for all the amazing work women are doing here at Aspie. If you heard a faint buzz in the background of our interview with Claire Hutchinson for the last episode, that was me joyfully listening to two powerhouse women talking women, peace and security. That is why it is my absolute pleasure to bring you the first of our special episodes celebrating International Women's Day. Yesterday, Aspie hosted a delegation of prominent women from the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. Afghanistan has gone through a period of significant change and the current Dialogues for Peace provide an opportunity to discuss the role of women in security, policy and society. The visit of this group not only served as an opportunity to discuss Australia-Afghanistan bilateral relations, but to also look at the achievements and challenges faced by Afghani women and address issues of women's empowerment globally, including the role of women as agents for change. During the visit, Aspie's roving reporter Brendan Nicholson spoke with Hadia Amiri, Special Advisor to the National Security Advisor of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, Freshda Karim, Director of Shamaz, a local Afghan NGO promoting critical thinking among Afghan children, and civil society activist Najiz Azirin. We have just had a very interesting discussion. Now, could you please just tell me your, your name and, and your position in Afghanistan, what you actually do? My name is Nargis Ozarium. I'm working with Open Society Foundation on the Countering Intolerance Programs, as well as I've been active um, in civil society for a period of 10 years now. Now, the world knows that um, after very many years of conflict, peace talks are underway in Afghanistan, but they only involve the Taliban and representatives of the United States. Do you have any concerns about that? And do the Afghan people generally have concerns about being excluded at this stage? Absolutely. There are concerns at every level in society because we don't believe that a peace deal can come to Afghanistan when we are excluded from that peace. If there are two parts deciding on our fate, one being America, the other being uh, Taliban, if we are not included in it, we don't believe in the sustainability of the peace that will come because we know that history of Afghanistan is full of conflicts. We have many internal dynamics in Afghanistan that will push Afghanistan into a civil war very easily if all the other sides are not included in these uh, peace talks. Their argument is that these are talks at the initial stages because the Taliban refused to speak to the government of Afghanistan. When we talk about these issues, they say that it will come to that. But I am scared because if major concerns are not being raised at the initial stages, they will not be followed up in the, in the follow-up negotiations. So we are scared for our future. We are scared for our rights. We are scared for everything that we have achieved in the past 18 years. And if the, if youth and women are not represented in these conversations and in these negotiations, we are scared that the country will go back to another war, which will not benefit anybody, um, especially not the people of Afghanistan. Do you believe that all of the gains that have been made in Afghanistan, particularly for women and young people, could be lost? Absolutely. Yes, I think... Because the Taliban are the same Taliban, they haven't changed. They, we, we have seen their example in the past. 
we know their mentality, we know what they believe in, and we know what they are pushing for. And if they come back to power, and if they are the ones driving this, the, the state, we, we, we believe that everything that we've achieved will be lost and we have to start from zero again. And we are scared for our lives. There will be imprisonments. There will be challenges that we, we, we don't know how to deal with. Yes, I do believe that a lot of our achievements will be lost. And do you believe that security can be maintained if the United States and its allies, including Australia, pull their troops out of Afghanistan? Australia is just there in a training role at the moment. No, I don't think that Afghanistan will be able to maintain its security if the international forces withdraw. Um, I think the withdrawal should be taught, should be in a slow process. We are not asking for, for the international forces to stay in Afghanistan forever. But we need to be able to stand on our own feet before we are left alone. The past 18 years have not provided us enough support in order to, to be able to do that. You know, we, we have had a period of 40 years of war. And then after 40 years of war, a period of 18 years is clearly not enough for a nation in order to be back on its own feet. At the moment, if, if the forces withdraw from Afghanistan, chances of Afghanistan falling back into another civil war is very high. And that will not be a problem only for Afghanistan, but I think that it will be a big problem for the world, for the international security. Because if Afghanistan is another safe haven for Taliban, which initially was the claim that international intervention came to Afghanistan and wanted to make sure that Afghanistan is not a safe heaven. Now, Afghanistan is at the verge of becoming another safe haven for the terrorists. And terrorism is not an issue that will affect Afghanistan or our lives. It will affect everybody else's life. And I think that if, if this time the international community don't take this issue seriously, it will be a huge mistake. And in 10 years, in, in five, five years, they will have to re-intervene and pay double the cost in order to, to clean up this mess again. So I think it's better to prevent, and now it's time to prevent rather than coming back and, and fixing a mistake. You commented earlier that the Western nation's intervention helped Afghanistan achieve democracy. Could all that come to nothing? Yes, yes. I think all of that could be lost because now we are losing faith on, on a lot of theories that were brought. And initially, democracy was brought into Afghanistan, and we believe in democracy. And Afghanistan has gone through elections, three elections back to back, and now we are going to have another election. But if now all these beliefs, all these values are challenged by a political settlement that doesn't really have a legitimacy, I think a lot of people will lose their faith in democracy. They will understand that it's a Western uh, product. It will come to Afghanistan. It will not achieve anything because when we start believing in democracy, when we have gone to the counters to vote at the cost of our lives, many people lost their lives. Many people were cut off their fingers. The Taliban didn't allow people to vote, but people believed in democracy. So they went to the counters to vote. But now it's all being challenged. The belief is being challenged. The values that are brought are being challenged. And if a Talibanism ideology takes power back, they don't believe in democracy. And if they are the strong political leaders, they are going to undermine democracy. They're going to undermine election. They're going to undermine education. They're going to undermine role of women in society. So I don't know what kind of democracy will that bring with that kind of ideology. And, and I think that it can be, it can be challenged and it will, it will take us, take us back to a period of, a dictatorship rather than a democracy.
my name is Freshta Karim and I work in an NGO in Afghanistan that promotes critical thinking among children. We've seen incredible advances in Afghanistan in terms of the numbers of women and young girls who've been educated. What's <coughs> likely to happen to that process if the Taliban return? Thank you so much. I think in, um, in post-2001, a lot of children had started going back to school. Schools were closed for girls. They couldn't go to school, their basic rights. But today we have around 10 million children going to school. Still 3.7 million children are out of school, and most of them are out of school because, and they are located in the Taliban-dominated area. These children going to school, I, I wonder in 21st century, we're talking about their basic right, where it is resol a resolved issue in most of the countries that is their basic right, children, including female children and male children, to get education. And today we are sitting here and talking whether Taliban will allow them or not. I believe that basic education is part of the basic human rights of children. And no human right under any circumstance is negotiable. Today they are saying that Taliban have become moderate, they will allow children to go to school, but there will be some condition. For, for example, there will be segregation of female and male children. But the moment the issue of human rights is so slippery slope, the moment you say that what is allowed and what is not, you interfere on people's human rights, that's the moment that you allow a lot of violation of it. Because there will be no red lines then. There will be no guarantees that if, if a little bit of it is violated, all of it is, would not be violated. So that's why I believe that uh, all human rights should be guaranteed and there should be no negotiations on that. And do you fear that all of that could be lost? I believe if, if the discussions are not, the negotiations are not inclusive, if our government, which is our legitimate government, voted by the public, are not included in the talks, and if we give wrong signals to the Taliban that currently we are giving, the U.S. is giving them wrong signals, that they are so powerful that they can exclude our government and the U.S. can directly negotiate with them without having our government on the table, then I think with such a situation, of course, Taliban will be in a powerful position to dominate the discussion, to say what they want, and to impose those on us. Rather, I believe when a peace negotiation happens, a group, a small group like Taliban should enter the negotiation from an inferior position, and rather a government should be in a superior position. Here is, is happening the opposite. And that makes me very scared for future of our children. Thank you very much. Now, uh, my name is Hadi Amiri. I'm the special advisor to the National Security Advisor of Afghanistan. Uh, main, mainly, I'm the career diplomat. I served uh, in the Foreign Ministry of Afghanistan for eight years. My first mission was uh, as a diplomat in the United States and our mission in Washington, D.C. And I served in different positions. I also uh, work in one of the universities as instructor. I also cover policy issues on women's uh, rights in Afghanistan. How do you see, in your position, the future of the people of Afghanistan, given the situation that you're in at the moment? You've, you've come through 18 years of, of war, despite the bloodshed and the, and the suffering of the people. Very substantial gains have been made. Do you believe that could be lost, or how do you see the situation at the moment? 
Uh, before I tell you what is my opinion or what I, uh, how I see uh, the future of Afghanistan probably in upcoming few years, I want to take you back uh, to 2014. In 2014, when the withdrawal uh, was uh, talking around and when it was around the corner and uh, people of Afghanistan in some other countries, they were thinking that if uh, the withdrawal will happen, uh, it was a kind of uh, deadline for them and they thought it's the end of the world for them. And But uh, I also want to uh, bring your attention on one of the very important issues that is uh, of our very importance for us is the our Afghan National Security Forces and the trust and that we have for them right now. Uh, in 2014, they proved us that if the withdrawal, if uh, the uh, international troops will not be there, they still uh, will work hard for Afghan people. I do agree that uh, we couldn't do it in that level that it was before. They are a new uh, force and they still need to be, uh, a lot need to be done for them. But still with that limited capacity they had, they tried their best to secure our country. They uh, they were the first people, they were the first runners that fought against terrorism. And the, the terrorism that was not only for us, this the, the, the war that was not only for us, that uh, they are fighting. And our people, we are fighting the war that is global and we're fighting the war of others in Afghanistan. I would say that 2014 proved uh, for us that uh, there will be challenges. It definitely will affect the uh, situation of Afghanistan and Afghan people inside the country. Uh, the economy probably will be uh, highly affected. The current uh, situation of democracy will be affected. The media will be affected. But I still believe on our national uh, uh, army and national police that they will uh, still work hard to uh, secure the country. They are um, one of the things that people think uh, about the troops of Afghanistan that they are fighting probably because some re because of uh, money or something. But I want to tell you that they are not having very high salary. And it's not because of the money that they go and join uh, security forces to fight against terrorism and our enemy. It's uh, their uh, reasons that they want to fight against enemy that is attacking Afghanistan for no reason, our people. And with that small amount of money that they have, they have a very high uh, ambitions and uh, dignity to fight. We definitely are currently, as you see, that uh, we, the, peace, the issue of peace talks is very much uh, covering the headlines nowadays. We uh, believe that if it's not an inclusive uh, peace talks and if the Afghan government is not on the table, uh, we don't accept that. And we cannot agree on the fact that uh, others would go and sit and uh, decide about the uh, future of a country because one of the components of the democracy is to accept the sovereignty of a country. And this is questioning the sovereignty of Afghanistan. And we don't agree with that. So saying that if the withdrawal would happen, we would be concerned and the effects will be there, but still... As you can see and you probably hear, the Afghan government is very much committed and working really hard to to um, have the post-withdrawal strategies and the post-withdrawal plans to work closely with the countries and especially to improve the situation of our Afghan national troops in Afghanistan. How would you describe life in Kabul? It's a functioning city. You can move around and feel safe. Does it feel secure? The life in Kabul, 
I don't want to conclude the life in Kabul representing the life of all Afghans around the 34 provinces of Afghanistan because the life in Kabul is very much different than if you uh, travel around and see other provinces. If you go to the northern part of Afghanistan, it's very different for men and women, how they live in a society and their provinces. If you go to the west, to the south, uh, and uh, the capital of Afghanistan. Uh, it's not that easy. It's not very easy. But if we, if I compare the um, uh, Taliban regime to uh, what we are right now, it's 100% improved, uh, and uh, we're living in a very, very much better uh, situation than it was uh, 18 years ago. Uh, the situation for women has been improved, and they, uh, it's improving day by day, but living in Kabul, uh, it has its own issues, but I guess um, it's, it's also um, in a situation that we can define it a positive thing. Thank you very much for your time. It's been fascinating. Very welcome. Thank you for listening to this special International Women's Day episode of Policy Guns and Money. But don't go away just yet. All this month, our blog The Strategist will be running a special series on women, peace and security, and we'll also be offering up another special episode of the podcast. To celebrate the announcement today from organisation Young Australians in International Affairs, the list of 25 young women to watch in international affairs, including three of my amazing colleagues, Akriti, Hannah and Elise, as well as some Aspie alum, Zoe Hawkins and Sophie Chin. We'll be running a special episode of Policy, Guns and Money to hear from the people working behind the scenes at Young Oz, as well as chat with Akriti, Hannah and Elise. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to send your feedback via Twitter at Aspie underscore org or leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify.